Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest. He's a financial strategist. He's an investor, and he's a great friend. Welcome to the show all the way from Phoenix, Arizona, Russell Gray. Hey, Victor. Thanks. You know, when you said you interviewed notable people on the weekend, I went, oh, I must have gotten the wrong invite. <laughs> well, great to have you here. We're going to have a great conversation tonight about all things COVID-19 related and, in fact, the damage that's been caused to the economy. So, Russ, for the folks that don't know you, maybe give a little bit of the backstory. Uh, the Real Estate Guys are not just educators, not just a radio show. You're developers. You own resort properties. Uh, maybe give a little bit of your backstory, and then we'll dive right into current events. It's probably not all that interesting, but uh, I was fortunate enough early in life to be ambitious and impatient and that combination kept me out of college, got me into business right away. So I bought my first property and started my first business at 19, barely 19, sold them both a year and a half later and uh, discovered a wonderful thing called equity. And I made more money on equity in those two transactions than I did both my wife and I working full time for that entire period of time in terms of wages. So then I kind of got the bug. And the reason I was able to do that is because I had an uncle who took me under his wing and he seemed like an old guy to me at the time. He was all of 32 years old, but he was an accomplished outside sales guy in Southern California. And I was from what was then a sleepy little town in Cupertino, California. Wow. <laughs> and pre-Apple, pre-Silicon Valley. And I used to trudge through orchards to go to school and uh, uphill in the snow both ways. No, I'm just kidding. So I, I learned the power of mentorship. I learned the power of enterprise and equity. First rental property at 24 started another business and went into the insurance business and financial services business in uh, 86 and was selling securities in 1987. At the same time, my dad, who was a high-tech entrepreneur, was just taking his high-tech company public. And I think he was maybe 47 years old at the time. And uh, he successfully made the public offering in uh, June, I believe, of 1987, and he was his, in his 120-day insider lockout period when October 19, 1987 hit, and the stock market fell 25% in a day. He got margined out, which is a whole different story uh, about margining illiquid stock. So for an advance of $500,000 on a $12 million fortune, he lost all $12 million and got handed a tax bill. And so I became pretty outraged at our financial services industry, at Wall Street in particular. I didn't understand what happened. It just didn't seem fair that a guy like my dad who'd worked so hard would end up in a situation like that. So I quit the securities business and uh, went back into corporate sales and incubated for about 10 years, a little more than 10 years. And in 95, I read a book called Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin. And finally, I understood what had happened. So it took me about four or five years from then, by now I'm in my mid-30s, and uh, decided that I wanted to get into financial education to try to just expose what was going on and help people in practical ways take advantage of what was to be certain long-term inflation, falling of the dollar, uh, and a lot of volatility. And it was in the course of doing that, I started a rich company in 2000, thought that would be a good place to be based on baby boomers and asset allocation, you know, moving into bonds. I thought interest rates would come down. There'd be a lot of money to lend. Turned out to be a great call and crushed it right up until 2008 when I got crushed, just like my dad had 20 years earlier. 
And then I discovered that there were things happening in the stratosphere of the financial system that uh, rained down like an avalanche of bad news on uh, myopic real estate investors that had their nose to the grindstone. And I made it my personal mission to figure out what happened, why, who knew. If I could go back, how, how would I prepare for the next time? Because I knew there would be a next time. Well, here we are. <laughs> and we are sitting on the cusp of next time. And the last 10 years have been a, a real education for me, as you know, because you've known me for a chunk of those years and some of the people that I've been privileged to get to know and hang out with and how we change the tone and the tenor and the direction of the show to try to help people. Uh, feel pretty good about where we're at. I'm actually kind of excited. You never want bad things to happen to people. But compared to where I was in 2007, 2020 is looking a lot better. You know, when a pin pricks a balloon and bursts the bubble, it's easy to blame the pin. But it's actually not the pin's fault. Maybe it had to do with the way that balloon was constructed. Maybe it wasn't robust enough. Maybe it was overinflated. Right now, the pin happens to be COVID-19. But maybe it's not the pin's fault. What do you think? Well, no, not at all. Not at all. If you, as just a normal human being, go out there and have a emergency fund, liquid cash, where you can support yourself for six months or a year without income, if you lose your job, if you get sick, if something happens internal or external to your control, you know, a normal prudent person has reserves and resources to be able to make it through. The same should be true for government. The same should be true for society. And so a shutdown of a month or two should not be devastating. So there's a reason why we're vulnerable. And the reason why we're vulnerable is because we're loaded up with debt. I mean, not just a little bit of debt, but insane, outrageous, absurd, unsustainable levels of debt. And the only reason we've been able to last this long is because we've had 40 years of declining interest rates, bouncing at the zero bound. And we were able to export a lot of labor and take a lot of cost out of the cost of products. Uh, of course, that enriched China well, we went into debt and put them in a much stronger position. And we were, we were vulnerable. There's a big difference between the economy and the financial system. And I spent a lot of time trying to get people to understand this because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of Donald Trump. So, you know, maybe I just alienated half the audience, but I, I just think he's a pragmatic business guy. He's, he's willing to make a call. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. He trusts his gut. And I think his real estate background is very helpful because he just focuses on getting the job done and components of cost, right? So you may not like his style. I totally get that. You may not even like his politics, but I really don't think it's about left and right, blue and red, you know, at least in the United States, as far as the colors go. It's really about big government and individuals. And when I talk to people, most people I know are interested in more individual freedom, individual health, and individual prosperity. And so I think most of us by our nature are really kind of libertarian if you think about it. But anyway, Trump came in and kind of upset the apple cart. And so he's tweeting, hey, we got this booming economy. And he's bragging about the stock market, which was a big, fat, ugly bubble before he got elected. And then after he gets elected, it's a beautiful thing, right? <laughs> okay, well, I guess it just depends on whose watch it happens on. But I think he was more accurate the first time than the second time. And the stock market is not a proxy for the economy. Uh, as we're finding out, because we're watching the economy tank, well, the stock market appears to be recovering and then going down and then recovering and going down. So it's not really a proxy for the economy. When you're going down the road in a car and you're on the road to riches and you're looking at your speedometer and your speedometer says you're going 75 miles an hour, 
but you're trucking down the road and you feel like you're, you're going along at a good clip and you're looking at your odometer and your odometer shows the miles going by, you feel like you're making good progress. I got a booming economy. The two indicators I'm looking at, which is my speedometer and my odometer, tell me I'm doing well. But you know what? If you're not paying attention to your engine temperature gauge and your oil temperature gauge, uh, then you may not realize that your engine is actually very fragile. Your engine is actually breaking down and you're going 75 miles an hour until you're not. And our financial system has been flashing red lights for quite some time, but we don't talk about that in mainstream financial media. We don't really even focus on what the fundamental of true investing is. Everybody who watches financial media gets sold on this buy low, sell high, like that is, you know, investing 101. No, that's speculation 101, unless you're a developer or a flipper that's adding value or you're doing something. If all you're doing is buying low, hoping somebody will come along and buy high, maybe you're timing, maybe you're buying value like a Warren Buffett, but most people are simply just speculating on things outside their control, hoping a greater fool is going to come along. It's really not investing. Real estate is where you're purchasing streams of income, hopefully arbitraging the cost of the debt with the yield on the asset. That's real investing. And so I think that people are beginning to wake up a little bit to the falseness of the Wall Street mantra of buy low, sell high, of the mechanics of how Wall Street works and who it really serves, of the incestuous relationship between Wall Street and the government and how they just kind of go back and forth and feed each other. I'm on the fence yet to see, you know, I don't know if Trump's been sucked in, you know, Mr. Smith goes to Washington and gets corrupted. Maybe he was corrupt going in. Maybe he's not corrupt yet. Maybe he won't become corrupt. Maybe he's the Elliot Ness of politicians. I don't know. I'm interested in finding out. But uh, right now, I do know that whether the virus crisis is real or contrived, a smokescreen for a financial reset, whether he's handling it well or he's handling it poorly, there's a lot of coulda, woulda, shoulda. Nobody really knows because we've never been here before. But one thing's for certain, at least in the United States in three weeks, something like 16 million job losses. Okay, that's real. And debt is going to go bad. That's real. We're already seeing some weaknesses in the financial markets. Lenders are beginning to tighten their guidelines. I'd love to hear what the folks in your world are feeling up there. But here, you're starting to see credit lines shrunk or completely withdrawn, deals being re-underwritten right in the middle of an escrow. I mean, all kinds of crazy things happening that are a little bit reminiscent of what we saw in 2008. So let's talk about that because there's an element of this does does feel similar. Or the cause is different and the sequence of events is different. You know, 2008 was weaknesses in the financial system that precipitated a weakness in, in jobs and employment and then precipitated weakness in the real estate market. Here, it's kind of the opposite. We've had a, a health issue that's precipitated a loss of jobs that's going to cascade into a weakness in the financial system which will reinforce the job problem. So it, it, what it, we're doing is we're getting a running start at a 2008 crash. We've got some real momentum going into the downward spiral. Right. And I think people just need to be ready for that. You know, if you're ready for it, it's great. You're excited. If you're not ready for it, you're freaked out and, and you should be. But now's not the time to be freaked out if you're a little flat-footed because real estate is insulated to a large degree, right? Oil, the bottom already fell out of oil. That, that happened right away. The bottom fell out of the stock market, and if it wasn't for the Fed and the plunge protection team and their proxies going in, propping up the market, and those markets, asset prices are easy to prop up. 
because you don't have to have a lot of money. You only have to have enough money to move a few key stocks. And then that pulls up indexes because it's all based on comparative sampling. With real estate, you have to have mortgage payments being made on every single mortgage and all those bonds have to be being serviced. And so you have to print a lot more money and get it into the hands of the creditors. That's why we're doing a mainline injection of cash directly into people's bank accounts, you know, something that Milton Friedman joked about as something that was, he was being sarcastic when he talked about helicopter money. And yet effectively, that's, that's what we're doing right now. So uh, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. But you know, if you're sitting out there and you're sitting on equity right now, and you still have equity, and you have access to credit and credit lines, um, I would take a long, hard look at grabbing that equity because the market's going to take it from you anyway. You might as well get it. You're going to pay a little bit of a premium for that in terms of debt service. But if you find good income producing investments to make, Uh, either immediately or in the very near term, as credit markets fall apart, private lending will rise. Having that liquidity is going to be helpful. If you just let it sit in the market, in the real estate, the market's going to take it away and you won't have it. And you'll be upside down in the property and unable to move it anyway. So you might as well grab it. A little while back, you interviewed uh, David Stockman. He was uh, budget director in the White House under Ronald Reagan, uh, youngest congressman in history at the time. 31 years old. Yeah. Super smart guy. One of the things that impressed me about that particular discussion, and this was, of course, pre-COVID-19 and and all of that, but all of the seeds that had been planted for this current downturn were readily apparent, certainly to him, I think certainly to you as well. What came out of that conversation that I think would be uh, pertinent to, to our audience here? Well, I mean, I, you know, at the end of the day, you know, he, he's, he's a, a, a philosopher, if you will, you know, so there's going to be a lot of of, of coulda, woulda, shoulda. And one of the things as an investor I've had to learn to do is to separate what I think somebody should do or what policy should be or what's moral or what's ethical. I just have to look at what's really happening. I mean, he recognizes that the Fed is completely out of control. I mean, that's the bottom, bottom line. This is 100% the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve system. This, this started in 1913 is when we started seeing the dollar on its hundred and or 107-year decline, we've seen the slow theft of American productivity and purchasing power, at least as far as the United States go. But it affects everybody in the world because the Federal Reserve uh, prints the Federal Reserve notes, which are IOUs, redeemable for nothing right now. They used to be redeemable for gold, but it's the world's reserve currency since Bretton Woods. And even after Nixon defaulted in in 1971, it's remained the world's reserve currency. My big concern right now that I think people really, especially Americans, need to be preparing for is the potential. I'm not even going to say it's a probability, but it's certainly a possibility that the dollar could lose its reserve currency status. and, And I don't know that most Americans that I talk to, even even gold bugs who purportedly hate fiat, judge the performance of their gold investment in dollars. That's so ridiculous. I mean, you know, it'd be like judging the value of your, your, the return on your deposit in a CD based on barrels of oil. I mean, you're just thinking about things separately. You know what I mean? I mean, gold is money. That's what JP Morgan said. Everything else is credit, including currency. And gold right now is at all-time highs against every currency in the world except the dollar, and it's flirting with it. The inverse of that statement is is that currencies are at all-time lows against money, 
And I think it's only going to get worse. And so if you're earning, have debt, if you denominate your net worth, if you think of things in terms of fiat currency, Canadian dollars or US dollars, but especially US dollars, and you're not ready for the impact of the US dollar, if the US dollar loses that reserve currency status, then you could get really, really wrong footed if that ends up happening. Folks, that was part one of a multi-part conversation that I had with Russell Gray. You're definitely going to want to tune in next week as we continue our conversation about the economic impact of the current COVID-19 outbreak. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.